Hello and welcome everybody to the very first podcast, the very first edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam, and welcome to The Alonzo Bet. The Alonzo Bet. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So a little bit about us. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm a PhD student at Princeton University here with Sam. We both study some form of physics, and we're both lifelong baseball fans. Yep, and so, you know, recently, over the last couple of years, we've been roommates here as we go through our time as students at Princeton University, and one of our favorite activities is during baseball season, just throwing a couple games on their televisions, and yes, mm-hmm. we do have two, and, you know, we just talk about baseball because we both love the game so much, and over... These conversations, we've had various passerbys who watch with us and don't love baseball quite as much, and they said, why don't you guys stop talking about baseball around us and just do it on a podcast? (laughs) So that's why we're starting uh, this podcast right here, and you know, Aaron, why don't you give the listeners of the podcast a little background, maybe where you're from, how you got into baseball, etc. Sure, so originally I hail from the Grand Canyon State, all the way down in the southwest, uh, Arizona, and... I kind of grew up as baseball being pretty much the only sport in my house. As a kid, I played basketball, too. Uh, You know, I played soccer for a little bit. But baseball was kind of a connecting thread between me, my brother, and my dad growing up. That was kind of a big, big thing we always did. So I started playing at, you know, age four with a little t-ball. And I played uh, through high school, not a particularly great high school baseball player, if we're being honest. But, uh, you know, I worked my butt off out there. And he, he rubbed some shoulders with future professional players. That's so. true. Uh, our high school team did fancy a couple future big leaguers, including Chance Adams and Dylan Cousins. So, uh, you know, there was some good talent out there, and it was just playing sports, man. Anytime you're on a team, that's just a great way to kind of find a community as well as hone some discipline and hone some teamwork and leadership skills. So that was great for me and only grew my love. I actually took a brief hiatus when I got to college. I was kind of burned out from playing. You know, wasn't uh, wasn't super stoked on watching games now that I had all this free time to do other things I thought was more fun. And right around my junior year, uh, it was an unbelievable season, that 2015 season. Just so many fun storylines going on that year, as Sam well knows. There's one, a really fun one, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty fun until the last series of the season. And we'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, Sam will be able to bring well, that up in just my, one uh, second. I get to give my intro about myself. Um, but yeah, so that, that season kind of got me back into it, and that's right around the time that we started getting StatCast data, and some of these advanced stats started coming along. The math kind of really brought me back into it as weird and nerdy as that may seem. But when I started being like, oh my God, look at the way we evaluate these guys. And then applying it to like fantasy and my observations when I was watching just got me hooked. And I've been, you know, devouring as much baseball as possible since. You got to get that MLB app, that app, so you can watch, you know, at least four games at once, if not more. Um, So now, Sam, why don't you you give them a little bit of info about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from New York City. And as Aaron was very gently alluding to with the 2015 season, <laughs> I am a massive New York Mets fan. Both my parents are from, from Queens. They grew up right near Shea Stadium. So they passed that right on to me, even though I, I grew up in Manhattan, not Queens. And uh, actually, probably most of my friends are Yankees fans. Um, Blasphemous. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad for them. But... 
you know, I don't have quite the uh, the baseball playing background as Aaron. I pretty much stopped playing, uh, I think, maybe when I was 12. That was my last year playing Little League, although, you know, my team does defeat Aaron's team in our I Am Softball League every summer. Uh, so we'll see who actually is uh, is the stronger baseball player. That fact is true, but it is a low blow. <laughs> there are some <laughs> extenuating circumstances that we that's, won't go that's into. That's true, on the and pod. and I will admit that Aaron's a strong player himself, and that's why that. we've been trying to recruit him over our team really since since we started. This could be the year if the season happens. Yeah, well, that's that's questionable. I think we're on, we're on the same uh, delay schedule as, as the, MLB. the MLB. That's yeah. 100% so true. when MLB games start with no fans. Uh, those fans will be at RIM softball games. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I grew even even though I stopped playing the game when I was around twelve. My my main sport that I played more of was basketball. You know, I've I've just been a diehard Mets fan my entire life, and through that, a diehard baseball fan. And one thing I really love about baseball that that really drove me more deeply into the game is is the field of baseball analytics. I think it really adds a a richness to the game. And I, I started getting really into the field of sabermetrics when I was in high school and started uh, reading uh, Fangraphs, uh, which I think is a tremendous site for those who aren't that familiar with baseball analytics. And we're going to be talking about it a lot on the podcast. So and we're as, really going to familiarize you guys with Fangraphs. Yeah. And as you might be able to tell from those intros, analytics will be a big part of this podcast. There's something that we find to be a very, very useful tool. We'll be introducing you guys to all sorts of analytical terms that you may be familiar with, but kind of not know the math. You may not even know what they mean if you're a casual or kind of more traditional baseball fan, but we want to bring you into the fold with us because this really is the way baseball's going, whether you like it or not. And I think we can convince you over a number of episodes that this is for the better of the game. It gives us more information and helps us really assess players uh, on a more direct level. And I, I think our general philosophy on this show is that baseball analytics are often presented to casual fans are something as something that's scary, as something that's meant to exclude you from understanding what's going on. But it really is the opposite. It's it's basically providing casual fans with the ability to understand the game on the same level as people who are really playing and evaluating the game professionally. So the fact that all this information is available should really, we should use it as a tool to enhance our enjoyment of the game, not feel like it's pushing us away. Exactly. But that being said, Sam and I also are really enamored with kind of the personal side of baseball, the personal stories that come out of that, and the more indirect observations that you might make. And we're going to be bringing you all types of sports news from around the globe. We're not sticking just to baseball, although it is the primary focus of the pod. That's right. And we we hope to also add to the pod not just, you know, cold, hearted statistical analysis of baseball and other sports, but some fun games, maybe talking to some of our friends in our lives Mm -hmm. that aren't as big baseball or sports fans to us and trying to include everyone in the conversation and maybe make you guys laugh every now and then. Oh, maybe. That's really going to – honestly, we just want to try out our career as comedians and (laughs) and we're we're pretending to do a baseball podcast. Yeah, well, know that this uh, podcast is over when our ratings start tanking because we're taking way too much time to practice for our fake stand-up sets that don't exist. Um, But we do have some absolutely great, great segments planned for you in the future. Um, Again, we'll be going over current events. We'll be going over all sorts of kind of sporadic segments that we do that will stay up with the times. And we'll go into different sports other than baseball, as well as the analytics that kind of are going to form our backboard. 
And I think uh, that's a good segue into what we want to do with you guys first here. As you may or may not know, depending on whether or not you live under a rock, we're out here struggling in a quarantine from uh, COVID-19, a very serious health scare. Um, and Sam and I are taking this very seriously as we believe it is uh, kind of public duty to do as a service to your other compatriots and the other citizens of the globe. You need to take this seriously. And that's how we ended up kind of quarantined here, starting this pod. And that's also push the start of the baseball season back. And for that reason, we think it's a great idea to start with some projections. Exactly. And basically what we're going to do for you over this next series of episodes is sort of give you our season preview. And we're going to go division by division and talk about what we think is going to happen in these divisions and sort of what our predictions are for the season. But we, but we, before we start this series of, of our season preview, I think... Our listeners are owed one pe- one story by you, Aaron, and that is what's the origin of our of our of our podcast oh name? Oh my god! The Alonzo oh my bet. god! Sam, thank you so much. I can't believe I forgot to introduce this in our introduction segment. But you know, this is uh, this is our identity right here. We are the Alonzo bet because we made or tried to make the Alonzo bet. And uh, to give you guys this story, Sam and I were sitting on the couch about this time last year. Uh, one day before the baseball season would be starting, so maybe a week or two from now, but last year. And uh, we were kind of flipping through DraftKings. It's legal to sports bet here in New Jersey. So and that's probably the main reason we decided to come to Princeton University <laughs> for grad school. <laughs> it was before the law was passed, yeah. but we knew. We were reading the legislation working its way through state legislature. But So we're sitting on the couch. We're flipping through DraftKings, and... Sam comes across a bet that really intrigues him, as we often do. You know, we're often making bets. Uh, We like to play some long shot odds. You know, we like to play 100 to 1 plus, basically. That's Uh, right. See if we can get get, rich easy. Get rich easy. See if we can just hit a nice little dinger sometime. And Sam and I are sitting on the couch, and Sam brings me a bet, and it's Pete Alonzo to lead the major leagues in home runs in 2019. It's 150 to 1. So typically, you know, I'm taking a bet that Sam brings me in pretty high regard. Sam's a pretty good, uh, plays sports pretty well here. But when it's Mets related, I always have to be cautious uh, because it's hard th- to this tell is where a the low bias blow. is. This is a low blow. I am a massive Mets <laughs> fan, of course, but I'm someone that prides myself on my ability to stay impartial. So every take I give you on this podcast that is about the Mets is going to be 100% based on the evidence and not based on my fandom. And that is that is very, very true. But as we will talk about later, personal um, observations are an important a part of making assessments of players. And when you have a personal love for something, the way Sam has a personal love for the Mets... I and, can only and imagine. Pete Alonso. I mean, I, I, I really do love that, man. I can only imagine when you love something this much. I say I can only imagine because how could you love something as much as Sam loves the Mets? There has to be a little bit of implicit bias, even if you do your very, very best. And it all just right, All right, get on with it. Get on with the story. So here's what we're saying. We're sitting on the couch. I look at this bet. 150 to 1 for Pete Alonso to lead the MLB in homers. Sam sells me like, a, like an absolute maestro. He sells me... 
the absolute dominant natural power that this man's shown through AAA. He sells me the work ethic. He sells me the makeup and the character. And frankly, he had me after the bombs and the miners. Because I was like, it's 150 to 1, you know? I'll throw a lotto ticket on a this. Shot, baby. Yeah, it's better than buying a scratcher. Yeah. But after he kind of played that all out, I started to believe, like, maybe there was a shot. In my head, of course, I know that it'd be the first time a rookie ever led the majors in homers. Um, and this was an incredibly difficult thing to do, especially in steady field, which doesn't always play well to a guy who has really strong um, opposite field power alley power, like Pete Alonso does. But uh, he sold me, so we place the bet and think nothing of it. The next day we learn from DraftKings that our bet actually hasn't been placed. And so Sam kind of tries to work to fix this, but they close the betting because the baseball season had started. Sam spent probably a week on this, at least, going back yeah. and forth with this clown and, trying to get this bet in. And despite how much I love going on DraftKings Sportsbook, I will tell you their customer service leaves a lot to be, uh, to be desired. They were not getting back to me. Eventually they said, hey, I'm sorry that you tried to make this bag and we didn't allow it to go through, but we're not offering it. And I think the rest is history. I think most of our listeners probably know that the man who did lead the major league in home runs in 2019 was the great Peter Alonzo. And, and he looked great doing it. Let's just say he looked yeah. like he was having a blast. So, out there. so I don't know. I don't know if Aaron meant if Aaron, if Aaron missed this, but we both intended to place ten dollars on this bet. Mm-hmm. So we lost out on fifteen hundred dollars each. Oh, which, as you know, lowly grad students, will give been a nice little chunk of change in our pocket. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's precisely fifteen hundred packets of ramen to make. That's uh, that's years worth of eating. And that bet kind of sunk into us. But after a while, it just became comical. How many, how many people go through the type of effort Sam went through to make that $20 bet at the time Sam had pulled our two bets together? No one is going through that much effort to make a $20 bet. Still, these DraftKings guys stayed strong and were like, yeah, sorry, we can't honor it. And then of all the bets to hit, 150 to 1, we nail it. And never get paid. Uh, all right, let's move on to the season projections. I can't, oh, I can't keep thinking about this. All right, so here we are. We're starting off with a couple projections as a way to build up that excitement for the season that's coming forward. Um, and before we get into that, we probably need to explain a couple things about making predictions and making projections. Of course, a lot of people like to make projections just from the gut. And there's a lot of value there because your gut can tell you exactly what you think in the foremost part of your brain. And that's a great way to do it. But Sam and I like to take that gut instinct and then back it up with numbers. So sure, we have some, uh, we have some confirmation bias sometimes when we're looking at picks because our gut told us what was right. But that's a good thing, actually. You should have an idea of how you're assessing situations before you get into them. But then we like to look at some... Uh, some advanced numbers. We like to look at batted ball data, but especially when we're looking at how a future season is going to go, we like to look at projections. Uh, and the two most common projection sites are Zips and Steamers. Sam, can you tell us a little bit about how both of those work? Yeah, sure. So Zips and Steamer are both just two different attempts at making a baseball projection system. And basically what a baseball projection system does is it takes past information about players, such as, you know, their batted ball data, the number of home runs they hit, their average, pretty much any information that you can get about a player. And then it takes that information and tries to find similar players who have existed in the past, who have had similar, you know, improvements as they've aged, 
similar batted ball profiles, these types of things. And then they combine this information to try to make predictions as to how these players are going to perform in the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things that often go into this is that older players are expected to, to climb faster. Younger players are expected to improve. You know, all these sorts of things are baked into uh, how these two things, Zips and Steamer, make projections about the season. And because the process that I just described is obviously a very complicated thing to do, these projection systems are not perfect at all. And that's why they'll even have different answers about certain players. You know, it's very hard to do projections and they're going to be a lot of imperfections along the way. But it's nice to have these numbers to give you sort of a basis for where to start in evaluating teams because they really, if you look at the efficacy of projection systems, how good they are, they really do do a pretty good job of predicting how well teams are going to perform. Exactly. So in this preview that we bring you now, a lot of our analysis is going to come down to uh, how well these teams are projected to do by various projection systems, but we're not going to just, you know, read you off what a different website said about where teams are projected to perform. We're, we're going to give our own input right. and use our gut as to say, May, I think this team's going to be a little better than the projections or this team's going to be a little worse. And that's the fun of the projections not being perfect. You know, If they're perfect, there'd be no reason to play the game. Exactly. And uh, another thing I want to bring up is we've mentioned zips and steamers. But Fangraphs, which is a great baseball website, has all of the stats. Uh, definitely check it out if you're ever trying to learn more about stats, because they also have a great host of writers, actually, that write about a lot of advanced statistics in a very basic way. So this is a great site. Um, but there's a service on here called Depth Charts, and that basically more or less averages zips and steamers together, and we'll be talking about that too. So those are three terms to look for here and in episodes going forward when we're talking about projections. Um, and one thing uh, that we kind of want to start with is talking about um, not just what projections do, but some of their shortcomings, uh, and you started to get into that, but I think it's important to say that there are things in baseball that are not quantifiable. You know, um, people always talk about makeup, they talk about character, and that kind of translates in layman's terms to the determination or the work ethic of an individual to not just be satisfied with making the major leagues, but improving year by year, because there's actually enough guys in the bigs that are like that, that if you don't do that, you'll never be great. And I think, um, not to really knock anyone here, but I think that one example of that is Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig works hard, I believe that, but I don't think he really has the mindset where he believes he can get better every year. I think he really thinks that he is a great player now, and he is. He's got five tools, especially when he was younger, had five tools, and you know can do just about anything on a baseball field. But because of that, he's gotten to this point where he doesn't really look for ways to improve his game maybe as much as some other players in the bigs. And I think perhaps a counterpoint to that, Aaron, is the great Mike Trout. I mean, Mike Trout exactly. is a man exactly. who every year is the best player in baseball. And the next year he comes in and has basically eliminated a weakness in his game from the year before, whether it's been over the last couple of years eliminating the weakness of his outfield defense mm -hmm. or a couple of years before that, he had an extreme weakness high in the zone and he basically became one of the best high ball hitters mm -hmm. in the next couple of years. He's a man who from the day he stepped on the field has been the best player in baseball, but that hasn't stopped him from changing his game and adjusting to how uh, opponents uh, attack him. Exactly. So that, and that's just one example of some of these not quantifiable character characteristics that people have. Another obvious one is when you're looking at team projections or 
uh, how you want to evaluate a team is uh, clubhouse presence. Having a cohesive clubhouse unit can never be quantified. But we know how difficult it is to win when you have a fractured clubhouse. Some of those Yankees, some of those Red Sox teams of old struggled with this exact problem. And sure, if you have all the talent in the world, you can make it to a World Series even if, you're, if you have a little bit of luck on your side. But it's really, really hard to win. You eventually will, but it's really hard to win. So it's not just the numbers that tell the story. It's also watching the game, understanding the game, you having that in yourself to want to learn more about the game. Um, and that's kind of where we're coming from with these projections. Maybe one day in the future, we'll do a special for our mathematically inclined viewers. We hope we have a few since we are ourselves, where we actually go into the math uh, and talk a little bit about that. It may not apply to everyone, but maybe a little special edition yeah, for some of our math fun. viewers. Yeah, I'd have some fun with that. Um, but for now, let's kind of go into the first projection we want to make. And we're going to start over in the American League, and we're going to start on my home coast, baby, the West Coast. All Arizona right. native, Snakes fan, went to college in Orange, California, so shout out Chapman University. And we're going to start right here in the home of the Angels. Sam, who do you got? Okay, so we're going to start with our ALS projections, and the way I think this is going to go is we're both going to give you how we expect these te uh, teams to finish one through five, and then we're sort of going to go through team by team tell you guys what we think these teams' strengths and weaknesses are, maybe give you a player to watch on these teams, and maybe give you a few uh, gambling picks as well. Um, <laughs> just so who's your number one team in the AL West? Who's finishing up top? You know, even with all the bullshit out there, the Astros are the best team in the American I mean, League West, yeah. and they're one of the top three teams in baseball still. So. I mean, that's just the truth, and I've also got the Astros winning the division. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, who's going to be runner-up. I think this actually is the spot up for grabs. I think four and five are set as well, but two and three is where we're fighting. And honestly, it's hard. It's very hard, but with the Red Sox kind of cratering and the parity that suddenly exists in the American League Central, we could potentially get two wild cards out of the AL West. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to keep the Rays out of a wild card spot, but mm -hmm. I could certainly, mm -hmm. I, I think it is certainly a possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. But so these spots are up for grabs, but at the end of the day, and I'll talk about why in a second here, at the end of the day, I had to go with the Athletics at the two, and that sucks because the Angels are actually my favorite team in the American League. You know, I'm a Snakes fan through and through from Arizona, but I love the Angels, always have since my all-time favorite player, Vladimir Guerrero, played for them. Oh, baby. And uh, I love them, and I love what they've done this offseason. I love Joe Madden there. They finally have a real manager since Mike Sosha. I love Anthony Rendon as much as anyone in baseball, but I can't put him over the A's who find a way to win I, every time. I basically had the exact same thought process as Aaron. Like, I really wanted to put the Angel second. Like, I went into, like, we prepare these previews before the episode, and I'm sitting down and I'm like, I just want to put the Angel second. I really want to do it. But then I start looking over these teams and I, I just can't. And I put the A second, and I think the Angels have the best chance they've had at making the playoffs they have had in a long time. Since and I, uh, Jared Weaver was shoving for him back I, in like 14 or 15. And I want to see Mike Trout there so bad, but I also have the A's second yeah. and, and the Angels, and the Angels third. third. And then I think that makes the rest of the division obvious. The Rangers go in the four spot, and the Mariners go That's in the right. five spot. And this is an interesting division to me because the teams at the top, 
all have actually incredible talent. If you think about the talent grouped in the AL West, and this actually flows down even as far as the Rangers, unfortunately, Mariners don't really have anyone of supreme talent on that team anymore, but if it goes all the way down to the Rangers with Joey Gallo, like, this division is stacked. I mean, they might have three of the best ten position players in baseball. In, in this division. In Trout, Rendon, and Matt Chapman. I mean... Oh, my God. But then, I mean, you if it's not Chapman or Rendon, it's definitely Bregman. So... Oh, that, that, that is true. I wasn't even thinking of Bregman. And, yeah, well, so I guess, I guess yeah. sorry. I, I mean, no disrespect to Nolan Arenado there, who has a legitimate claim to the best third baseman in yeah. baseball. But he hasn't played like some of these guys the last few years. And then... I mean, Altuve is definitely competing for the best second baseman in baseball. So this is a really, really strong division. Um, But let's go through kind of these teams one by one. And let's talk a little bit about what we think about them. So for the Astros, what did you have as their biggest strength? Uh, I think it's just got to be that lineup. Yeah, no doubt. It's just so killer. I mean, Altuve, Bregman, Springer, Jorgen Alvarez, who on a per-plate appearance... Basis was the single best hitter in baseball last year. Now, I don't think he's going to repeat that. And I know Aaron's pretty low on this guy. Yeah, I'm not huge on But, that. I mean, you just go down the lineup one through nine, and it's it's just insane. There's no weak spots. Well, Josh Reddick is a weak spot. Well, I mean, but why they're I still think playing him over Kyle Tucker blows my mind. Give the kid a chance. Well, I, I actually, you know, I have jotted down here as one of my players to watch Kyle Tucker. Exactly. And I thought one of the biggest questions of the year is like, like Josh Reddick should not be their opening day starter and he should not be getting plate appearances over Kyle Tucker. Now, I think they picked maybe the worst manager in the world to prioritize giving a young player playing time over a worse veteran in Dusty Baker. Dusty's a great manager, but he's not the guy who's like, oh, I don't care that he's a veteran because we know he's not producing for the club. We need to let this guy try. Dusty's a guy who rewards, you know, tenure. And that's a value in and of itself. But at this time, I think it's going to cost them value because Josh Reddick, truly, everyone in their lineup is a WRC plus of like 110 or more. And and just to be clear to listeners who don't know what WRC plus is, I oh, thank you. I think thank you. I think it's definitely a stat we're gonna mention pretty much every episode, so you should just know. It's basically an all encompassing offensive stat that tries to uh, say how well a hitter is performing relative to the average. So a hundred WRC plus would be an average major league hitter. And then for every point you're above 100, you're a percent better than average. So what Aaron means when he says 110 WRC plus or better, he means every hitter in the lineup is ten per- is at least 10% better than average. Except for Josh Reddick, who is probably 100 or lower. And there's no excuse for that when they have the type of organizational depth that they have. But I agreed. I had their lineup as their strength, too, because one guy doesn't throw it off. And honestly, he's a gritty enough. He's a good enough player that he's still super valuable. We're talking about WRC Plus here, but that just takes in, like, batting the ball. Josh Reddick actually does a lot on the bases. And Josh Reddick does a lot in the field that we don't really know if Kyle Tucker does yet. Uh, So he definitely brings value. In terms of a weakness for them, and this is tough because, again, we're I mean, yeah, they're such a good team that when we... When we talk about a weakness for the Astros, it might actually be a strength for another team. Exactly. But we're just having to nitpick. Right, we're having to nitpick. We're literally talking about a team that 
in the last three years, in order, has won 107, 103, and 101 ball games. A team doesn't win 100 games a season in a row, retain their core, and then still like, have a bunch of weaknesses. You know, this is a team that is just solid all the way around. But if I had to pick... The back end of the rotation scares me a little bit. I I, I have written down right here on my page, pitching depth. Pitching depth. As the, as the weakness for the Astros, so I agree completely with you. It's just like... I actually, and we did we did not work on these previews together. No, ladies we purposefully and gentlemen. We, kept them we away split from up. Each other. We didn't let each other see a thing before we started. We purposely kept them away from each other. The here's the thing. I'm high on Arquiti. I actually think that guy's a stud. I think he knows how to pitch right now. Coming into the league, he knew how to pitch. Uh, yeah, but so I I think Arquiti is the least of your worries as a four. Exactly. Yeah. But. Is Josh James your five? Right? Do we know if Lance McCullers is going to throw 120 innings this you know, season? There and you know maybe going into last year, you're thinking that Forrest Whitley is going to be in the equation here, right. but he really had a terrible prospect season, and people are much lower on him than they were before. You, and, you want to look for an education like, in a prospect just plummeting his value? Yeah. What he, what Whitley did last year to go from the unquestioned number one pitching prospect in baseball. To, I don't know, five or six now? Like, I mean, that's I, tough. I don't, you know, I'm certainly not signing up to have him as my fifth starter this year, especially when you're a team like the Astros who's going to be in contention and can't just give a guy a little time to figure it out. Right. And, like, here's here's what really scares me about the Astros is, is what if, is Verlander's 38? Like, mm-hmm. what if he has to miss some time? Their, well, their rotation starts to get, look really scary if Verlander's not healthy. Well, and Zach Greinke isn't exactly young and fresh. Like, yeah. miss you in Arizona, by the way, Zach. But, like, you're right. What Verlander's done... When Verlander came over at... What was it, 35 at the time he came over? Yeah. When Verlander came over, we were all like, man, tough to see a pitcher go out like this in his twilight. Like, And then he's turned this career around and made himself a surefire surefire first or second, but probably a first ballot Hall of Famer at oh, this for point. for sure. And at what point does the magic stop? It doesn't matter, but he has to decline. He's somehow gotten better through these last couple of years. He's 38 years old. He relies on the heater, and it eventually will not be there. I hope it's not this year. You know, I hope the guy continues to have success as long as he humanly possibly can. But at some point, you got to wonder, Zach Reinke Zach could pitch until he's 50, maybe. Like, he is already throwing a fastball that's sometimes slower than his changeup because speed means nothing to yeah. this guy. Um, I see him have a, having a Bartolo-like end to his career. Yeah. yeah. But once you kind of push through... And by the way, Zach Greinke's a good two, but there's pitching rotations in baseball where he's the three. You know, oh, it's not yeah. like he's just a dominant two-starter. I mean, I think there are a couple where he's the four. The Nats, for example. Yeah, in the, yeah. for the Nats, he's the four. You're right. And, you know, so that kind of goes to what we're saying. Great team. Super strong. Watch the mound. Because if they're going to falter at all through this season, um, and they could because it could be a short season, they're going to falter at all. I, I will say, I think we've got to move on to the to the rest of the division. I will say one thing is that the Astros have built up sort of enough of a uh, 
history of success in building competent pitchers that maybe it's mm-hmm. a big unfair of us to, right. to be questioning their pitching depth. Right. But Josh that, James could be a yeah, great pitcher. It, exactly. Totally possible. But with that, let's move on to the athletics. And I think let's do athletics and angels and then give a quick word on why we're picking the athletics over the angels. Uh, yes. One thing I do want to say, and I'm sorry to just say one more thing about the Astros, but we didn't mention the trash can bang at all because it doesn't really matter to us. You know, it has some impact on the game, but like we don't know how much it is. The one guy who I want to watch, because this is something we're trying to do for these teams, the one guy I want to watch is Yuli Gurriel. He had the second highest percentage of pitches thrown to him that were signaled by the Astros, only behind Marwin Gonzalez, who it didn't help much for. <laughs> and Yuli was a great hitter last year, and Yuli's always surprised people. He gets the balls and you're like, wow, he just must have amazing hands. I want to see if he can keep that up. So I want you guys to keep that in the back of your mind as the season goes on. I definitely will. So as we go on to the A's, I'm going to just say their strength, and you won't hear this often in today's game, their strength is defense. Oh, yeah. I, I have written down here strength infield, infield, but I probably should have just written infield defense after that. Yeah. Because, oh boy, can they pick it. It is all around the field, but we don't need, I mean, what Ramon Laser Loriano can do in center field is really good. <laughs> he is a fun guy to watch. But what we really love is their infield. Matt Chapman is the best third baseman in baseball. And I struggle to say that because Rantone is so good. I'm a huge Arenado homer. But Matt Chapman is, honest to God, the best third baseman we've seen defensively since Brooks Robinson. Like, this guy... I mean, Arenado can... Oh, boy, can he pick it, too. So, well, let's not... Well, what I was going to say... What I was really going to say is the be- he's the best third baseman defensively we've seen since Arenado's rookie year. <laughs> but, like, it, we're just, like, spoiled to see these two guys. And here's something crazy that you may not know. These two guys went to high school together. I had no idea. Why? Wow. Arenado was the starter, and Chapman backed him up for two years at... I'm pretty sure it's El Toro... Uh, somewhere in Southern California, they they went to high school together. They played on the same teams, and the word on the street is they learned from each other. And Arenado actually taught Chapman a lot of what he knows, but Chapman, man, that guy's a freak. And then what you always got to talk about when you talk about Chapman in that infield defense, you got to talk about Matt Olson oh on the other God. side because Matt Olson makes first base look sick. The and and I I said something to Aaron the other day. When we were just, you know, having a little fun, I was asking him to read out to me the top 10 first base projections on Fangraphs this year. And I said to him, number four is, I think, one of the three most underrated players in baseball. And it was Matt Olsen. And basically, I mean, people don't think of Matt Olsen as a star at all, Mm -hmm. but he's up there fourth in first base projections. Let me just read off some of the names directly behind him. It's Peter Alonzo, the reigning rookie of the year. Paul Goldschmidt, one of the best hitters in baseball right. for years. Max Muncy, one of the best hitters in baseball the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Reese Hoskins, one of the last hitters in baseball the last couple of years. I mean, these are really great players that are projected to not be as good as Matt Olson. And Matt Olson only has, I'd say, a tenth of their name recognition. But this is a guy over right. here who is a like a solid, above-average hitter and who can just pick the ball mm-hmm. at first base. And you don't think of first base as a really flashy a, or fun a flashy position, defensive right? position, but this he's evidence that you can really, and the A's have done this for years, you can find values mm. on, value on the margins of the whole game. The A's are the Rays of the West, right? Yeah. Like they've, they've done for years with nothing. They've made a 
freaking movie about it, people. Like, the Rays are actually low-key better at it than the A's are now, but they both have incredible talent doing this. And to just drive this point home about defense, the A's actually led the MLB in defensive value and UZR, which is an advanced defensive stat last year. The numbers back it up, folks. These guys absolutely play the ball like animals. But one thing that they do struggle with is the actual converse of the Astros. It's the front end of the rotation. That's right. They're kind yeah. of deep in the sense that they have like seven, six or seven number five starters, but they don't really have, at this point, a true ace. I believe Jesus Luzardo could be that person. Yeah, but I mean, what, he threw 80 innings last right. year. You can't make you know crazy projections about him. And I, I really think like Luzardo is... If you had to say the the number one of the staff, he's the clear number one. Maybe yeah, Frankie Montas. Well, they're going to start Mike Fires on opening day, though. That's yeah. the thing is like when we're talking about Mike Fires being our number one pitcher, <laughs> and when we're talking about Frankie Montas coming back from a PED suspension, which is different for me than coming back from like a non-pitching arm injury or like a leg injury. This is like how much did these PEDs affect Frankie Montas? Because you could imagine a scenario where. Frankie Montas, for those of you who don't know, his best pitch is the splitter. And in 2018, he was, like, out of nowhere, one of the five best pitchers in baseball. And then, all of a sudden, he gets nabbed with a PED violation, performance-enhancing drugs, basically steroids. And they send him to the 85 or 88-game suspension, whatever it is. And the question I'm asking now is, that splitter, to throw a splitter, you have to put your finger so far away on the ball, you have no grip. So all of the power comes from your shoulder to whip that arm around and throw the splitter. Frankie Montas can throw an 88-mile-an-hour splitter just like Shohei Otani. And you have to wonder, were the PEDs affecting his ability to do that? Because that's something I could believe. I hope not, because he's sick to watch. But then beyond that, nothing. I mean, those guys don't even deserve to be one and two. If I had Frankie Montas as a four, I'd be like, ooh, that's exciting with upside. Yeah. But if I have him as a two, I'm like, oh, my season kind of depends on this. But Yeah, and I, so I I had starting rotation question marks mm-hmm. written down as my weakness, so I think we're about the same on that. Exactly. So I, I and I think we should mention that we were just raving about the, the A's infield, and we can even mention Marcus Simeon, who was third in the AL MVP voting last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, yeah, this, yeah. Inf- this infield's insane. I had Riggin down as my player to watch, and I specifically, you know, underlined I want to highlight Matt Chapman's greatness. And you sort of already did it, but I really wanted to hammer home that, like, for the other players to watch, I'm sort of saying, like, more borderline guys, mm-hmm. like, we might see them break out this year. But, like, I really wanted to hammer home. In the last two seasons, Matt Chapman has been sixth. In war. He's been the sixth best player in baseball. In the last three seasons, when he only came up halfway through, I think in June of 2017, he's been 11th in the league in war. So we're talking about a true superstar mm-hmm. in the game who who his entire, basically, resume is greatness. Mm-hmm. He's been good from the second he stepped into the league. And, like, this is a true superstar in the game, and he's not talked about that way. Right. And I think we just got to start talking about him that way. And I appreciate you underlining him like that because he he's a great star in our game today. I, though, have Jesus Lizardo. This is a guy that I've been eagle-eyed on for the last two and a half years, basically, because he came up looking like an absolute stud. And my belief in Jesus Lizardo is that he is a number one in the major leagues 
just clear-cut, fun to watch. Don't know if you've seen his change-up, but boy, get ready for that thing. He's also got a, a high 90s heater, and he's got a slider to complement. So those are three plus pitches with a fourth pitch that he could develop into a plus. He's got pedigree. He's got a successful track record in the minor leagues. And this is a guy that could come out this year. We'll see about innings limits. You know, that's a question mark. But this is a guy that could come out this year and seriously do what Walker Bueller did last year. And anytime you see that, that's a great pitcher. Because Walker Bueller is amazing. We'll talk yeah. about that in the NOS. But, um, yeah, and I am also have a lot of, you know, faith in Jesus. Oh, yeah. I think he's going to be a great pitcher. So let's move to three. And that's, we both had the Angels mm-hmm. there. We did. And so what do you have as the Angels' strength? The Angels' strength is their lineup. The Angels... It may look weird, but they actually have a very good lineup. They lost Cole Calhoun, but they added Anthony Rendon. They have Joe. I'd make, I'd make that trade. I'd make that trade every day. They have Joe Adele, who's basically ready to play in the majors, and I might have, if it weren't for service time considerations, might have played Joe Adele over Cole Calhoun last year. Like this is a, actually going to be a really good player in the major leagues. And, you know, they really... Justin Upton is coming back from turf toe. There are people out there, and the projection systems actually kind of follow this along. There are people out there who believe that Justin Upton is kind of hitting his heyday, his twilight years. He's 32 years old. But... Boy, 32. I mean, this guy's just been around forever. Well, he came up with the D-backs. They uh, named right field Upton's corner for a while in Chase Field. And when he was 18... You know, I was a kid. I was going to batting practice sometimes at uh, what used to be Bank One Ballpark in Arizona. And they would play videos of him on the screen. Like, he was the pride and joy of Arizona in some of those really, really tough years in, like, 2010 onwards. And he, what he's done in WRC+. Plus. But most of the time, he's going to hover around 130. And he's always going to do it the same way. He's going to hit almost 30 home runs. He's going to score at least 100 times. Or, sorry, at least 85 times. I'm very sorry. And he's going to drive in at least 85 runs. Every single time, that's just what he does. He's going to have an OPS around 825 every single time. This guy is super, super consistent. And I think when you put that whole lineup together, of course there's question marks. I mean, they're doing crazy stuff behind the dish. Angelton Simmons may not hit. David Fletcher, who knows. But the lineup's pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I I'm not sure I'm a I'm as passionate about Justin Upton. Oh, I love you. Justin Upton. But, uh, I love that guy. Yeah, I mean I've written down star power. They, you know, Trav and Rendon. They're that's insane. Angelton Simmons is an incredible player. Uh, Otani. I yeah. mean, th- there's just so many stars on that team. But then you know that sort of translates into the weakness, which is both some of the depth and then the pitching. Oh my God, the pitching. It's just not good. I'm not even saying anything. I'm just shaking my head. Like, and I mean, hopefully Otani's good again. Right. But the question there's just nothing. The question is, people, how do you, as a general manager, and I get that Billy Appler is like pretty new to the Angels, and he's trying now, but he's kind of like carrying on the practices of the old regime, which makes me feel like the art, the owner Artie Moreno, like has a weird thing about pitching or something. They refuse to have a bullpen. They refuse to invest in starting pitching. 
Like, they basically got lucky that Weaver shoved for them a couple years, and, like, they bought Dan Harris. And they also got, like, insanely lucky that Otani gave them right. one of that the Otani cheapest Otani contracts in baseball. But, like, when we're talking about their starting rotation, because that's also what I have as their weakness, and I, I say pitching all the way through. The last two I said yeah. front end or back end. This one is just all the way through. It's the starters and it's the relievers. Andrew Heaney's going on opening day. A who? Like, he's actually a good, he's a, a good pitcher, but... Who like he? You don't want him as your opening starter. They bought Julio Tehran, who everyone in the league would love to have on their team as a four, and they're throwing him number two. They have Dylan Bundy, who, if it weren't for his unbelievable prospect pedigree, probably wouldn't be in baseball right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's struggled yeah. mightily everywhere he's gone. Griffin Canning, who's going to be a great pitcher, folks, but unfortunately uh, has undergone. Uh, a number of injury scares, and so the delay of the season may help that, but it's still tough. And then there are five, I'm not even going to read you these names. I am. Matt Andres, Felix Pena, what are you doing? Those are, they need a four-man rotation. Um, that being said, Shohei Otani should pitch this year. He could be a legitimate two or three in the league, I think. Yeah, and I mean. That's possible with fla- his stuff. He, He's got great stuff. He flashed, you know, briefly a right. stint before the Tommy John end. It remains to be seen how he comes back from right. that, but I mean, he, he can be a really good pitcher in the league. And that actually is my player to watch, is Shohei, because with a year off from him, I think we've kind of cooled off on how cool he is, but let's all remember. Like, he's pretty cool. <laughs> this guy is super young, okay? He's only 25 years old. He plays a decent outfield, although they're not letting him play out there. But he rakes. There's no question he rakes. I actually was watching MLB Network the other day, and Harold Reynolds was interviewing Mike Trout. He said, who hits the furthest bombs on your team? I said, what? Shohai, no doubt. No doubt. That's cool. Shohai Otani is an absolute monster. Then he throws 99 with a splitter that will make you poop your pants. Like, he's nasty, and I'm so excited to see if he can do this two-way thing. I believe in him. I really don't want to see him get injured. I think it's possible for someone if they train right, and I think he could figure it out. Yeah, I'd be really excited by that. My player to watch I had was Joe Adele, and really I was just wanted to see, like, we'll see how much he plays. Because I think he's going to be really good, and I think the Angels as a team that's a borderline contender would do well to do the same thing they did that the Mets did with Pete Alonso this year and just say service time considerations right. be damned. Right. We're bringing him up with us on opening day because he's one of the best player, best 25 players in this organization, mm-hmm. and we're going to try to make the play. 100%. Uh, okay, so that's the Angels. And I think sort of for me the difference between the Athletics and the Angels is that they both have pretty deep like reservoirs of close to star players. Right, Obviously right. the Angels have like Travis Rendon. That's better than anyone on the A's, but the A's I think have more depth. Right. And actually, you may arguably, not know the names, but they have more yeah, depth. Yeah, and arguably Chapman is as good as Rendon. But Correct. I would agree with that. And I think the real differences here are the A's have pitching questions. The Angels have no pitching. And I think that is the difference. And I think the pitching is just ultimately going to cave the Angels and they're not going to quite be able to to stay with the A's. Over a long season, pitching is a great indicator of how you're going to perform. So let's move on to the Rangers, who I actually think are a really interesting team. I never, ever, ever thought I would say these words 
but the Rangers' strength is their pitching. Yep. <laughs> the Rangers, this is crazy to think about, and I actually didn't know this until I was doing a little research for the show today. The Rangers have Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, Corey Kluber, Jordan Lyles. Those are all guys who are workhorses, by the way. Only one of them, and that's Jordan Lyles because he got injured through less than 175 innings last year. In, or, well, are proje- sorry, yeah. are projected for less than yeah, 175 okay. innings this year. My bad. And every single one of them knows how to keep the ball in the yard. They know how to get outs. They're not all the flashiest. Sure, Lance Lynn somehow is striking out almost 10 batters per nines late in his career. I have no idea how that happened. But somehow they have a good rotation. Did you have the same thing, Sam? Yeah, I have the strength they're starting pitching. And as in uh, sort of opposite, surprisingly their weakness is their lineup. Yeah. Because, oh boy, after Joey Gallo, is that rough? So I actually had it phrased as lineup depth um, because I believe the top of their lineup is pretty good. Joey Gallo's an animal, right? Uh, you know that Elvis Andrus, Shinsu Chu are going to hit. Uh, Rugnetta is good for bombs. Willie Calhoun has a lot of upside. But, like, we're talking about a lot of ifs and maybes. And, it's and, also like, like Nick Solak getting a ton of ABs? But also, like, can Elvis Andrews hit? Or is he just, like, maybe a decent shot to be an average hitter? Right. right. Like, yeah, it, that's fair. That, no, that's totally fair because that's what he is. And the other thing I said is their defense. Because this is something people don't actually think about all too much, but they have a terrible defense. Let's just go around the diamond. Joey Gallo is serviceable at first base. At second base, they're playing Rugnet Odor, who honestly, if he has a bad season, this could be the end of his career. But I also, I'm not sure how much they'll play Gallo at first this year. Oh, you think like, he's I in think left he's field this year? In, in right field, mostly. Who do you think they're playing uh, in first base? Uh, well, because they currently have Danny Santana. Uh, if I look at who Fangraphs has them playing at first base, it's it's Ronald Guzman. Wow, <laughs> which is just not great. Ronald Guzman actually has a good glove, um, but wow, yeah. Uh, Fangraphs has Ronald Guzman projected for uh, four nineteen slugging percentage. Fangraphs actually doesn't have anybody on the Rangers projected over five hundred in slugging except for Joey Gallo. The next closest is Willie Calhoun, who they're hoping will slug 486. But that's it's just a tough defense all around. I mean, you have Todd Frazier at 30, who's a veteran. He's wily, might get it done. But Nick Solak at second can't pick the ball up. Joey Gallo is not really an outfielder. Danny Santana is a first baseman who they're like, oh, maybe we could stick him in a corner outfield position. And now this year, they just have to stick him in center. Like, that's really bad. But... I will actually kind of parlay that into saying that Danny Santana is the primary player I want to watch on the Rangers. And that is going to sound crazy to a lot of you guys, but here's the thing. Danny Santana is one of the most intriguing fantasy players in baseball Ah, this year. Aaron loves his fantasy baseball, so you're going to hear uh, some of his fantasy takes every now and then. That's right. You're hearing the first fantasy take here, but I'm an avid fantasy baseball player. Uh, back-to-back champion in my league. We play Keeper League. And I agonized over Danny Santana because I almost reached for him this year. Let me tell you guys what he did last year. Last year, Danny Santana was able to, let, just right off the bat, he hit 283, which is good. He slugged 534, which is going to be great if you're in a slugging or OPS league. And he walked at a only 5% clip, which is tough. But here's what's important. He stole 21 bases. In fantasy baseball today, when no one's stealing bases anymore, 21 bases is like, 
you know, top 15. Like, that's yeah. that's one of the best players in baseball to steal. I'm but, not sure how much that's helping the Rangers. No, Are stealing 21 bases? It's but, not yeah. helping the Rangers. But he also drove in 81 runs, he scored 81 times, and he homered 28 times. So if you're telling me I'm going to get a 283 average, 21 bombs, 81, 81, and 28 out of the ballpark, that's a guy who every single day will get drafted in the third round of a typical league. But he's right now going much, much later because who? Right? Like, he's never done this in his career. He was a twin. He played 101 games for the Twins in 2014. He had seven home runs. He still sold 20 bases. We know still bases. But he got seven home runs. He hit, or he slugged only 472. So we don't know who he is. And then every year after 2014, he was worse than that. So people are worried, but Zips and Steamers has him around 20 homers, going to steal around 20 bases, going to hit around 260, and he's going to slug around 450. So they see him regressing a little bit. We'll see. I think he's an interesting guy. If you're in a league where he doesn't get picked up, either pick him up now or watch him on your fantasy wire because no matter, even a 10-team league, this guy has value. Yeah, and I think this was a team I have as a big of a hard time picking a player watch, but who I went with was Corey Kluber. And Mm -hmm. I'm just really interested to see what he is this year because he's not very far removed from being one of the five best pitchers in baseball. Mm -hmm. And he never came back from his injury last year. And basically I just want to see if he gets back on the mound and keeps shoving or if this is the start of maybe a quick decline because one thing to remember about Kluber is was he was a pretty late bloomer. So he's much older than he sort of is in your memory of, of being an elite pitcher. Right, he's not like, yeah, he's only been an elite pitcher for maybe, I don't know, five years or so, but he basically became a, a real deal at 28. So he's he's up there. Yeah. And then let's go on to the Marlins here. Mariners, Mariners. Uh, Mariners, I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're basically the Marlins of the world. They're basically of, the Marlins of the, of the AL. Also, I don't know if any of you guys do that. I constantly confuse Mariners and Marlins because the names are like weird yeah. anagrams minus the L. Yeah. So I have their strength as... I love the Marlins' young talent. Mariners. (laughs) I love the Mariners' young talent. And, folks, now you've seen it. Now you know what we go through here on these live one-shot filmings. The Mariners' strength this year is their young talent. I was... I was a little mean, and I wrote down nothing. (laughs) (laughs) No, but this is fun. Let's talk about this a little bit. So... The Mariners have Evan White at first base. This is a guy who kind of came up through the minors. He slugged, he slugged. He's kind of like Pete Alonso light. Like, they don't All have right. Pete Alonso. Don't, don't use his name in vain. No, but, but he is. But he is. He's a guy who's worked really hard to improve his defense when his original scouting report said he couldn't play. He's a guy who slugs. And he's a guy who, like, seems like a pretty stand-up dude, pretty good character. But then at second base, actually, I like this guy even more. Shed Long. I love this guy. He came over from Cincinnati. He is just, like, one of the nicest guys. Him and Taylor Trammell both, who was originally Cincinnati, but now is in San Diego. These guys are, like, salt to the earth. You hear their interviews. They're so sick. And they tore up the minor league. So I love to see what he does. But then the most interesting of these three is Kyle Lewis, who actually came up to the majors last year and blasted, like, home runs on 12 straight days. Like, he set a random record for you know, home runs in consecutive games for a rookie. Kyle Lewis is my player to watch. Oh, I love that. I love that. And and basically, uh, he kind of came out of nowhere, but he just... I didn't see him coming, no. But 
I mean, he kind of raked while he was in the Matrix last year, so let's just... It wasn't for very long, but let's just see if he does no, it again. No, he might be this cool bright spot. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I have, Sam, you know, I don't want you to get too salty, but Jared Kalenic just seems to be the superstar that the Mets were scared he might be. Uh, he is can we sh- stop talking about I got, I got to say it for our viewers because they have to know. Jared Kalenic shot up the minor leagues. He has tore everything up he's seen. He came to spring training and was apparently making an unbelievable impression where the Mariners were like, we don't care about service time. This kid is the real deal. If you're in a keeper league and maybe do like a minor league spot, you got to take him now because this guy's an animal. And I would not be surprised in any way if we see him this year, even if the season only lasts 88 games. And that's all I'll say. Aaron can uh, relay this to you. I look absolutely disgusted right now. Yeah, Sam. For, for those who don't know, Jerry Kalenic was shipped off by, he was the Mets' first-round pick uh, last year. He was shipped off by them in the trade for Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, along with Justin Dunn, who is another you know decent pitching prospect. But And almost Jeff McNeil. And, and almost Jeff McNeil. I, Aaron probably remembers I me. I can just, attest to this. Yeah. This is true. He remembers me like having a heart attack, basically, when I saw the reports that the Nets were going to ship off McNeil, Kalenic, and, and Justin Dunn for Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano. I still wasn't very happy when... Right. Sam when, didn't like it. He was not happy When the trade it. was made, but I talked myself into it because I'm a hopeful man. Starting to look bad. Starting and, look bad. oh man, it's already looking really bad. It's already looking like an all-time bad trade. Here's the thing I want to say really quick before we move on to weaknesses, though. As Sam's telling that story, I realized my favorite thing about the Mariners, if I have to pick a personal thing, besides for the fact that I have a lovely girlfriend from Seattle, is that the GM of the Mariners, Jerry Depoto, is a great baseball character. This guy is like, if you or me became a GM and thought we were playing the show... Like, he just makes so many trades. He loves to trade. Yeah, he's willing to just deal anything because, like, I feel like he really likes the act of trading with other people. He's, like, lonely. You know, he wants to talk to people. He's calling them up. But I love Jerry Depoto, and he's a great GM in the league. I think he'll turn his team around before too long. But going to their weaknesses, just like you wrote, their strengths were nothing. First, I wrote a real weakness, which I think is their bullpen, but then I wrote, and everything. Yeah. Because they really don't do anything well. Oh, man, the bullpen's so bad. I mean, maybe the, their best bullpen pitcher might be like Carl Edwards Jr. The bullpen um, is outright comical. Actually, their best bullpen pitcher, and this again goes for you fantasy nuts, their best bullpen pitcher is Yoshihaso Hinero. He was in Arizona last year, and he's a closer from Japan. He's a little older, but he doesn't need stuff like he's a pitcher he's not flashy but i guarantee you right now hirano will save 25 games this season so if you're looking for saves like this is a guy who's not getting drafted in most leagues don't waste your picks on i don't know craig kimbrell in the eighth round like just wait till the end of the draft pick him up as a free agent this is a good guy but beyond that sam's right their best reliever is carl edwards jr and that's just embarrassing Okay, so we've sort of gone through all the teams. I want to do one last really quick thing for you is I'm going to go through each team. I'm going to tell you their Vegas over-under. I'm going to give you their Fangraphs projected win total, and I want you to give me an over-under on both of those. Um, So, And and one thing I'll note to listeners is this is assuming a 162-game season, which obviously will not really be the case. 
So let's start with the Astros. Uh, um, quickly, can I ask you something? Excuse me. Sure. For the uh, for the DraftKings numbers for the over/under, are we factoring in what the bet is? No, I'm not. I I just sort of looked. You're up. just having me picking up. I, I just looked up an over/under. It okay. wasn't even from DraftKings. I'll be honest. This is a surprise to me, folks. I didn't know we were doing this. So let's see what Because teams are actually not. They don't have team futures available now on yeah. on over/unders because right. they don't know how many games they're right. going to be. So let's start with the Astros. Smart. Yeah. So if someone's projected to win 100 games, yeah. bang the under right now. So let's start with the Astros. Again, 162-game season, 97 Vegas over-under. And why don't you give me that first, and then I'll tell you what Fangraph says. Christ. Um, 97, like how do, you pro- how do you project a team wins more than 97 games? But if I had to pick... I really don't believe in the Angels. I think the Astros are going to beat up on the Angels like they always do. It hurts my feelings, but they are. They're going to win more than 97 games again this year. It's going to be the fourth year in a row they win over 100 games. I went under, uh-huh. and uh, Fangrass has them at 95, okay. which was surprisingly low, actually. But I guess my thing with the Astros is, like, I, it's hard to project, but I think there's going to be some tension because of the... Oh, I, I didn't even scandal. think about that. Like, there's going to be some turmoil. They're a good enough team that they're going to overcome it. Right. But I think it might shave a few no. wins off their season. Yeah, you're right. Actually, factoring that in, I would take the under, but my gut reaction was yeah, the okay. over. So okay, like let's that. go uh, second with the Athletics. 89 and a half over under. Can I, can I take 89? <laughs> um, 89 and a half. I'm going to take the under. I just don't think their pitching staff um, can get away with that Angels lineup anymore like they used to. And I have question marks in their lineup if I'm being realistic about it. So I'm taking the under. I went over. Maybe the sole reason being that I just feel like every single year the Athletics are better than I think they are. Yeah, that's true. So I went over. Fangraphs has them at 87, though. So basically, yeah, yeah, basically the split. Uh, So Angels, 85 and a half. Oh, man. Um, Under 80, but basically like 84. I think the Angels are truly an 84 to 85 win team. If they won 88 games, I wouldn't be shocked because they have the best player in baseball who can make the difference in three games in a season. But if I'm trying to project what they're going to do, I'm going to take the under. I went over out of pure Mike Trout optimism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fangraphs has 83, though. Yeah, okay. Uh, Rangers, 78 and a half. This is amazing. I mean, funny thing is these guys at Vegas are, like, pretty good at setting up lines. (laughs) Honestly, every single one of their lines is perfect. What did you say, 78 and a half? For the Rangers, I have to take... I have to take over. I think they're going to win 80 games this year. I went That pitching rotation is more important than their than their defense. I went under because I agree the pitching rotation is good, but that lineup is just like so rough in my eyes and I can also see a world where this pitching rotation is not good. Yeah, so true. Because, like, like why is Lance, Lance Lynn, Lynn really that good? Yeah, is right. Mike Miner really that good? Yeah. Corey Kluber could <laughs> yeah, could be bad so this right. year. Like, so I don't right. know. But I, it could be really I, could, bad. I could see the over, but I'm going under. Yeah, and and finally, uh, we've got Mariners, uh, 67 and a half. Christ. <laughs> under. 
I went under two, under. and they are really bad. Yeah. Oh, I, sorry, guys. The Rangers, Fangraphs has them at 78, and the Mariners has them, uh, Fangraphs has them at 66. So, uh, so we had it on. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that is our, that, that concludes our AL West, uh, predictions next week. We will be doing the NL West. So make sure to tune back in and remember, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Alonzo bet with Sam and Aaron. Thanks for having us. Goodbye. We'll see you next week.